Good morning, everybody. We are going to be in, so uh, last week we spent the entire, entire time in, in one verse. This week we're spending the time in one and a half chapters, um, because that's sometimes how it works out. But we're going to be in Joshua, the, a little bit of Joshua 3, all of Joshua 4, and then even the first verse of Joshua 5. Um, we won't read it all at the start. What we're kind of going to do is, is wind up reading passages at different points throughout the message. So before we begin, please join me in prayer. God, what more is there to say beyond what we sang this morning? We can't redeem ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't defeat death. But you can, and you did, and you do. This is who you are. This is what you do. You regenerate lives. You restore. You redeem and transform. And we praise you for these things. And we praise you because you are holy. We praise you because you are God. Your holiness gives us all the reason we need to praise you. So, Lord, let this time be a continuation of praise. May these not be my words in, in any way, shape, or form. Get rid of me entirely. May we not listen with our own ears and with our own perspectives. May we listen with hearts opened by the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit's perspective in us. Lord, please let this time be holy for you. We want to see you lifted high. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, we looked at Joshua 3, 5. And then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves. And really, that was the, the extent of what we looked at last week. Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves. And we looked at what is consecration, what is holiness, what are we called to. And we spent all the time in there. And this week, I want to start off by looking at the second half of that sentence. Joshua says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the first thing I want to look at is just this very simple reality that the Lord will do wonders. Because sometimes we overlook this. And it's important that we remember that this is who God is. God is the God of wonders. This is what he does. And there's an aspect of this that I want to point out. You know, because consider some of the wonders that God did in the lives of the people of Israel. Whether it's the priests walking into, if you go through the chapter, you'll see the details that the River Jordan, it was overflowing its banks. This was flood time in the spring. And so this wasn't just like a little creek. This was a roaring river, right? And the priests are told, hey, go walk into this roaring, tumultuous rapids carrying a very heavy weight, Right? Like, not put on a life vest, something that's going to be buoyant, and so if you get swept away by the river rapids, you'll be okay. No, go into this roaring, flooded river carrying a weight. And then in a little bit, they're going to get to Jericho, this big fortress that is kind of the, the embodiment of all the obstacles and enemies before them. And God says, get every weapon you can possibly pack on your body and start building battering rams and, you know, lay siege to the city. No, God says, hey, grab the trumpets and, and walk around the city. And then he says to Gideon, if we continue on into Judges, Gideon is going to war. He's leading the Israelites into war. And God says, okay, amass as many people as you have. 
Go hire people from neighboring countries and neighboring tribes. Build your army as big as you can make it. No, God says to Gideon, yeah, you've got way too many people. Let's cut that in half. And then let's cut it in half again. And then let's cut it in half. Okay, now, now that we have completely shrunk your army to a laughable size, now it's time for you to head into battle. And then you get to the New Testament, and Jesus says to Peter, yeah, get out of the boat and walk on water. And he says to the disciples, no, start passing around this kid's bag lunch, and we're going to feed these 7,000, 8,000 people. God does wonders. And here's the thing in all of these instances where God does wonders, and we could spend the whole time talking about the wonders that God does. If you approach them with human logic, then we're going to resist. And we are going to refuse to allow ourselves to be in a position for God to do wonders. Right? But the flip side of that, the Bible doesn't call us to, ask, to act rashly or foolishly. The Bible is abundantly clear that we're to be wise. We're to be responsible in our lives. But the point of these wonders, the point of the situation that God places his people in over and over and again, is that it might look foolish to human standards. But if it's obedience to God, then, I, I mean, is it okay for me to say who gives a rip about human standards of wisdom? If it's obedience to God to put myself in a position that the non-believing world may look at and say, that doesn't make any sense, but it's where God has told me to be, then that's where I need to be. And so what begins this whole passage, what begins this whole section that we are going to look at this morning of God doing wonders in the lives of the Israel begins with the people willing to say, we will obey God and follow what he calls us to do, even if logically it might not make sense. And this is where this incredible story begins. And instead of going to the right next event, as you consider this idea of God does wonders, God does incredible things. You know, I've told you guys, I process through questions, right? Like I'm just, I'm, I'm perpetually asking. Every uh, school, we're, we're starting the school year, right? So that means that the kids soon, you're gonna be like parent-teacher conferences. Right? Like every parent teacher conference my, my parents ever attended, they would come home and they say, It's incredible. Your teachers start, every single teacher starts with the same thing. Like, does Sam ever stop asking questions? Right? Like, how do you get him to stop? And my parents are like, Well, if you tell us, like, we'll pay you. And that would be fantastic. So I process through questions. So we come to this very important reality that God does wonders. And my mind naturally says, Why? Why? Why does God do wonders? Why, why does God have them cross a flooded river? Like, wouldn't it have kind of been logistically easier to just find, you know, a low spot with maybe like a high tide or a low tide and a high sandbar and they could cross over a bridge? Like, why, why do we do wonders? Or why do we see wonders? Why does God does, do wonders? Well, one, because God, everything he does is for his glory and for his kingdom. And the wonders that he does must point to the glory of God. Consider these passages. This is four. I told you we'd be, we'd be reading through the whole chapter three, chapter four, into chapter five. This is chapter four. After the river has been parted, after the people have crossed, starting in verse 23. Actually, we'll back up. We'll start in verse 21. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. Dry ground. I mean, when you consider wonders, when you consider a flooded river, 
You know, God didn't just like slow it to a trickle. It doesn't say, you know, they crossed through mud and they're having to lift their legs out of river mud. Like, no, they crossed on dry ground. That's a wonder. We should get excited about wonders. And the reason we're emphasizing these wonders is because I think sometimes we reserve the wondrous things that God does for the kids' wing, right? Well, the kids need to know about God parting the Red Sea and Daniel in the lion's den and Shackrack and Benny in the fire. And, you know, the kids need to know about this because you need to get kids excited. But by the time we get to adults, we don't need to emphasize the wonders that he does. And I think that's half of the reason why I like hanging out with kids better than adults a lot of days. Because kids are still young enough to get excited about God and the wonders he does. They crossed on dry ground. That's incredible. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord, here's where we're getting to the why. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Why did God do these things? so that the world would know he is God Almighty, so that his people would know he is God Almighty. Really? Did it really have that big of an impact? This was the day before email. There were no news cameras there. Really? Well, let's go on. What's 5-1 say? As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Every single thing that God does is designed to give him glory, to point to his majesty, to point to his sovereignty. What's one of the themes we've looked at for the book of Joshua? Theme number four, in case you've got that OCD mind and you can, you can picture the themes. That our lives are meant to be lived in response to the person and the promise and the behavior of Yahweh. That Yahweh sets the standard and then our lives reflect his standard, his behavior. So pop quiz, your life is meant to be a direct reflection and response to what Yahweh does and the standard he lays out. Every single thing God does is for his glory. What should that mean about every single thing we do? That it is for the glory of the Lord. This is one of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do for the glory of the Lord. Whether you eat or drink, the most mundane task you can think of, do it for the glory of the Lord. And then, just in case... God gives us that other phrase too. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, the way you spend your money, do it for the glory of the Lord. The way you spend your Sunday afternoon, do it for the glory of the Lord. The way you drive on the highway, do it for the glory of the Lord. The way you interact with your coworkers, do it for the glory of the Lord. Every single thing in our lives must be done for the explicit purpose of glorifying God and advancing his kingdom. Why? Because this is what Yahweh does. This is what God does. This is the standard he has let out for us, or laid out for us, rather. That everything is to be done for the glory of the Lord. We see this in the parting of the River Jordan that the people of Israel got to witness. And we see this modeled in Joshua's response. Now let's back up to chapter 3. 
Joshua in this passage gives us such an incredible picture of humility and proper perspective. He demonstrates that he gets it. Verse 5, Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Verse 7, pay attention to these verses. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. So God starts to lay out the details of his plan of what he's going to do. He says, Joshua, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how the plan is going to start to unfold. And God says, we're not reading, I mean, Joshua's not reading into this. God says, I am doing this to exalt you. I am doing this to establish you as leader. I am doing this to demonstrate that I am with you that I have spoken to you. How easy for would it have been for Joshua to turn and go run and tell the people, like, hey, you guys are about to see proof that God is with me. God says to Joshua, I'm doing this to exalt you, to begin to exalt you in this position of leadership that I have called you to. Make no mistake, God says, I'm going to do this thing. Once again, like we looked at last week, it's got to begin with God. But God says, Joshua, I'm doing this to begin to exalt you. How does Joshua communicate it then to the people? Verse 9. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, he repeats that, the Lord of all the earth, he drives this home to the people, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. God says, Joshua, I'm doing this incredible thing to exalt you in your position. And Joshua turns around and says to the people, guys, this incredible thing is going to happen so that you know God is with you that God is Lord of all the earth. He makes no mention of himself. What's, it would have been so easy for him to sneak that in there at the end, to start off with, right? Because sometimes in our mind, we're like, well, yeah, I started with God, and then once I made sure that God got his due, you know, then I made sure that I got mine, right? Like, look, let's start with God. God gets the credit, and then I, I get like the byline, right? Like, you know, God started this project, but then I kind of came in, right? Like, I made sure that it started with God, but now I want to get my recognition, it would have been easy for Joshua to do that because that's how God explained it to him. And instead, Joshua says, this is going to happen so that God is glorified. Joshua removes himself entirely from the equation. I, I absolutely love that. I love that example that Joshua sets. That what we just looked at, God does wonders for his glory. And this is what Joshua communicates to the people, that it's all about God. It's not in any way, shape, or form about Joshua. It's not in any way, shape, or form about us today. There's a count, and the great thing about this is I literally can't remember this guy's name. Part of it because it's an Eastern European name, and it's, it's got way too many consonants. But there was, there was a theologian from like the 1600s, a count in Europe, and he summarized the purpose of church leadership as preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. 
I can't remember his name. I can remember what he said. Because his life pointed to preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Like if that's written on my tombstone, that's a good life. This is what Joshua does. Joshua says, no, this is going to happen so that you know God is with you. Because it is all about the glory of the Lord. And I can't help but wonder, what would America, what would Richland County, what would Mansfield look like? What would your neighborhood look like if your life was entirely about the glory of God and nothing else? What would Forest Street, I live on Forest Street, what would Forest Street look like if for my wife and I, our entire life, our home, our existence in that area was about glorifying God and nothing else? What would jobs look like if Christian employees worked for the glory of God and nothing else? What would the landscape of our society look like if we understood and took this lesson to heart? So that when God did wonders, we pointed to them and we said, look at who God is. And our lives were given to glorifying his name. And that's the second half of what I want to look at this morning as we continue through Joshua 3 and Joshua 4. Joshua 3, 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon, and those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests' feet firmly stood, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. So God says, okay, I just did this wonder. I just did this thing. Take a man from each tribe. Have him go into the river where I did this wonder and take a stone. Take a large stone from out of this river and then bring them with you to where you camp tonight and set up a memorial. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Testimony must be a foundational, integral, essential part of the lives of the individual believers and the lives of the church. It's, it's got to be. What is testimony? Testimony. When your children ask you, you tell them. Testimony simply means to provide witness. 
And, you know, we've talked about this in the past. If you recall the sermon in, I think it was the middle of February of this year, where we looked at evangelism, and we looked at that quote that's so falsely attributed to Francis of Assisi, go out into the world and preach the gospel if necessary, use words. Right? And we, hopefully none of you like that quote because we completely debunked it. One, he never said it. Two, even if he did, it's just theologically wrong. Witnessing evangelizo, that we are called to do, testimony, to provide witness, to provide, to testify, is inherently verbal. There is meant to be a declaration, a proclamation of who God is, of what he has done. And this is the standard for believers. This is the standard for the church. Jesus laid this out for the disciples. Consider John 15, 26 through 27. But when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And this goes back to the idea that we just looked at, where Joshua demonstrates that it's all about God, not about him. It's what John the Baptist said when Jesus came to him to be baptized. He must increase, I must decrease. The church gives itself to the testimony of God because it's about God. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about my name getting increased in the country. It's not about my name getting increased. It's not about our elders' names getting magnified. No, we must decrease, God must increase, and a vital part of this is the testimony of God's people. Y'all know I like to pack scripture in more than my own words. On this next slide, don't try and write things down. I'm giving you a heads up right now. Like, don't, don't try and write things down. Take a picture. When the slide goes up, take a picture, and then just listen. Sam, you're exaggerating. Is this really, I mean, is this, is this the biblical standard start to finish for the lives? Of, like, that's why we have pastors and elders, because testimony is for you all. Testimony is reserved for this special group of people. Testimony is reserved for those who are called to be missionaries. All right, let's look at Scripture. Huh? Who wants to look at Scripture? Like I said, don't try and write it down. Just take a picture. Matthew 5, 15 through 16, Jesus speaking. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's about God's glory, not our own. Psalm 71, 15 through 18. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. Well, yeah, my life is just a, you know, nonverbal testimony. Okay, well, what do you do with a passage where David says, my mouth will tell of this? My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deed of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. New Testament, Old Testament. Let's go back to the New Testament. Revelation 12, 7 through 11. 
Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, and deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Where in the world is John going with this? As led by the Holy Spirit. What, what does this have to do with testimony? Who wants to see Satan defeated? Who's excited for that day? We've got one person, my goodness. Let's try that again. Who wants to see Satan defeated? Hey, there we go. That makes me feel a little bit better. Who wants to take part in that? Who wants to take part in fighting on behalf of God's kingdom? When Jesus says to Peter, the gates of hell will not stand against the church, who wants to be part of knocking down the gates of hell? I do. So why are we in this passage of Revelation talking about Satan being thrown down and defeated? Well, let's consider verse 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Got to begin with Jesus. Got to begin with God. Cannot be about us. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Psalm 66, 16. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Mark 5, 18 through 20. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with just so Mark 5, background. Jesus has just freed a man from demonic possession. Just freed a man from demonic possession. Jesus is getting back into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Well, that's a logical conclusion. I've been possessed with demons my whole life. Jesus frees me. I want to stay with him. Right? That sounds like a good thing. How does Jesus respond to him? And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The guy says, Jesus, you just freed me. I want to be with you. And Jesus says, no, you go testify. You go provide testimony. That's your task now. Psalm 22, 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. Colossians 4, 7 through 9, Titus will tell you about all my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. The whole reason that I sent him to you was to testify that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Daniel 4.2, it has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, let us not consider how, or let us consider how to stir one another other to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. One of the purposes for the church, as God lays out, is to testify to one another. So we testify to the world around us, absolutely. We give testimony to who God is and what he has done to the world around us. But we also are called to give testimony to one another. This is one of the purposes of why we gather for testimony. Isaiah 12, 3 through 6. 
With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, proclaim that His name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And major Joshua vibes from that passage in, in Isaiah. Joshua says that God is going to do this so you know that the Holy One is in your midst. Isaiah says, tell one another what God has done so that you know the Holy One is in your midst. Jeremiah 51.10, the Lord has brought about our vindication. Come, let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. You can't turn to a section of Scripture and not see God's people giving testimony. You just, you can't. Why? Because it's what He's called us to do. He has called us to testify to unbelievers. He has called us to testify to believers. The unbelievers, this is, this is how we fight against the kingdom of darkness. This is how we fight against Satan with our testimony. The world wants the, or the devil wants the world convinced that there's no hope, there's no joy, there's no chance for transformation, there's no chance for things to be better, there's no peace. He wants to deceive the world. So we stand with our testimony and we say, no, here is the opposite. Here is the truth of God. This is what the church is called to do. And then to one another, we give testimony to encourage one another. Because I guarantee you that not everyone here in this room had a great week. I would bet somebody in the room this week had a really crappy time. Just, just a hard week. Where it felt like peace shrunk a little bit, and it felt like hope and joy diminished a little bit. And so you gather with the body of Christ so that your brothers and sisters can give testimony to encourage you, to build you up, to spur you on. Hebrews 10, let us consider how to encourage and exhort one another by gathering together and giving testimony to who God is. I said, consider the impact that we might have on our communities if we live lives entirely sold out for the glory of God. And if every waking moment my thought was, how do I give testimony to God in this interaction, in this behavior? What do you think the church might look like internally if we took our conversations to this depth? Right? This is how Mike and I interact on Sunday morning. Brother, how you doing? Good. Good? Good. You had a good week? Good week. Good. Glad to hear. Hey, have a good day. You too. All right, be good. There's nothing wrong with that, right? I hope he did have a good week. If he did have a good week, that's a good thing. What do you think might happen to Mike and Mai's relationship, our depth, if I showed up and I said, hey, Mike, what did God do in your life this week? And I put Mike in a place where now he is consciously thinking of, okay, where did I see God move this week? Maybe that week he's not ready with an answer. Maybe he asked me, Sam, how did you see God move this week? Where did you see God's faithfulness this week? Ooh, I don't have an answer. But now next week, man, if Mike asked me that, I want to be ready with an answer. So now I'm looking for God's faithfulness in my day-to-day -day life. Maybe I show up and I've had a terrible week. And Mike says, hey, how was your week? And I say, yeah, it was really rough, right? It was, it was a bad week. This happened, this happened, this happened. Financial setback, health setback, relational setback. It was a bad week. And Mike says, hey, let me give you testimony to God's faithfulness. Right? Not just to, oh, I'll, you know, I'll put a note in my phone to pray for you later. Like, no, stop what you're doing. Pray for him now. 
and give testimony to the faithfulness and the goodness of God. What do you think our relationships within the church might look like if we took this mandate to testify to one another seriously? I think that sounds like a lot more depth. I think that sounds like a lot more encouragement, like a lot more joy. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. So if Rebecca comes to me and she's had a great week, I can rejoice with her because she is providing testimony to the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And then when Mike comes to me and he's had a bad week, I can mourn with him and provide testimony to the faithfulness of God as a hope and an encouragement to him. Testimony is not just reserved for presenting to the unbelieving world, but it's also meant to be in the lives of the church. And, you know, earlier when I said it's not reserved for a special group of people, that it's the call on all of us, I want us to really consider that. I want us to really consider, you know, one of the things in Joshua, what did it say? When your children ask you, when your children ask you about this, here is the answer. Here's why you're doing this. So that when future generations ask you, so this is not an accidental conversation. This is not a, I'm going to hang back and I'm going to wait for you to approach me. And Well, I've never shared my testimony with another believer because nobody ever took the initiative to ask me. Well, no, they don't need to take the initiative to ask me because I went ahead and took the initiative to create a situation that would force them to ask me. You set up this memorial so that when your children ask you, you have already opened the door and created the means of a conversation to give testimony to God. This is deliberate. This is intentional. This is not accidental. You don't somehow wake up one day and stumble into testimony. I mean, maybe you do, right? God does incredible things. God does wonders. I've had accidental conversations with people about testimony. But truthfully, I mean, just speaking statistically, right, just straight up statistics, I've had way more conversations about my testimony where I have deliberately opened the door or created a situation to share that testimony. This is what God commands the people of Israel to do. This will require, right, to blow our minds, this will require a deliberate expansion of our relationships within the church. This will require you not talk to the same three people every Sunday. Still talk to them. I love that you have those friendships. It's very natural that you are closest friends with people in your same age range. It's very natural that you're closest friends with people who have the same experiences as you. Right? It makes sense. But those can't be the extent of your relationships within the church. Look at the generational impact and the importance of generational relationships in the life of the church when considering testimony. Joshua 4, 5 through 7, 21 through 24 again, one last time. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them. 21 through 24. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stone means? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. I love that because in the, in the end of that chapter, you see both the external and the internal. We deliberately create occasions for testimony. We deliberately create situations to give testimony so that the external world may know that God is God 
and that internally you may know to fear him. You get both. You get both halves of testimony in Joshua chapter 4. It's incredible. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 and 32, 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Okay, internal family. I'm responsible for my own kids. Yup, 100%. 100% responsible for your own family. But that doesn't mean you neglect the other generations of the church. Deuteronomy 32.7 Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you. Ask your family. Teach your family. Absolutely. You have responsibility to your family. The Bible is abundantly clear on this. And it says, in addition, ask your elders. Ask the other people of previous generations who have gone before you and they will tell you. They will point to my works. They will point to who I am as God. This is what he says in Deuteronomy 32. Psalm 78, 1 through 7, which... I mean, spoiler alert, the title of this psalm is Tell the Coming Generation. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will not hide them from their children. You have a responsibility for one another's kids. You have a responsibility for other generations. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Testimony is meant for the body, for all of us, a mutual responsibility for one another where we will tell testimony to future generations so that they can tell testimony to the generations that come after them. And in case one generation isn't taking the initiative of this, it says, okay, then go and ask. How many of you think there's someone younger than you here today? All except one of you get to have to put your hand up for this next question. How many of you think there's someone older than you here today? We won't point out who like the three people looking at you. Hey, when you were born? Right? But I'm guessing you know people younger than you. I'm guessing you know people older than you. Are you deliberately telling the people younger than you testimony of who God is and what he's done? Are you finding and seeking out the people older than you and asking them for their testimony of who God is and what he's done? You have a responsibility in both directions. David wrote in his one psalm, even when I'm old and gray, you know, starting to get there. Having a baby will do that, right? Doesn't matter. White as the snow up top, David says, no, even when I'm old and gray, I will seek out the generations to talk to. This doesn't end. This never ends. We must, must, must take testimony within the life of the church seriously. 
We must seek out those older than us who have gone before us, who have experienced more and say, what has God done in your life? Tell me testimony. We must seek out those younger than us and say, this is what God has done in my life. Let me tell you testimony. We have a responsibility to one another within the church to do this, to point to the glory of God. And we have a responsibility within the church to go into the world around us and do this and point to the glory of God. God lays it out plainly in Joshua 3 and 4. Psalm 145.4 One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. There it is. I mean, it's as simple as that. Who wants to be part of a healthy, vibrant church? Good. What are you willing to do about it? Who wants to be part of a church that has generational impact? What are you willing to do about it? I mean, really, that's what it boils down to. I want these things. All right. Show us. Go into the river, pick out a stone, set it up so that your kids have to ask, Dad, what's up with the stone in the living room? Oh, son, let me tell you. Daughter, let me tell you. Set up your life in such a way, I'm not talking about a literal stone. Set up your life in such a way that your coworkers have to ask, Dude, Bruce, I got to ask, man, what's up with this pile of stones that you've got set up in the office? I mean, come on, like, that's unusual. And Bruce says, ah, let me tell you about testimony of God. The school systems you're in, the teams your kids are on, deliberately, intentionally structure your life, your behavior, your words, your conversations in such a way that people have to ask, what is up with that pile of stones? That's crazy. Let me tell you about what God has done in my life. This is testimony. This is what God laid out for the people of Israel in Joshua. This is what God laid out in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Psalms and Matthew and Revelation. Testimony must be, I mean, just such an essential part of our lives. So this week, let's put it into practice. Reread Joshua 3 and 4. I know you all read it as part of the church reading plan that we did. So you'll get to read it for the second time. Read Joshua 3 and 4 this week. Really, I mean, right, it says meditate on his word. Spend time with it. Absorb it. Allow it to shape you. Read Joshua 3 and 4. And then I want you to have two conversations this week. I want you to find somebody older than you, or maybe same age as you, right? It doesn't have to be older, same age. But find somebody who at least isn't younger than you. And ask them deliberately, hey, what testimony can you give to the goodness of God? Share your testimony with me. And then I want you to find somebody younger than you and say, hey, let me share my testimony with you. Kids, anybody under the age of 18? It looks like you're all right here pretty much. And one over there, still talking to you too. Ask your parents this week deliberately at the dinner table. Say to them, hey, mom, dad, give me your testimony as to what God has done. Parents, y'all better be ready for that. I mean, you want to talk about pressure. If your kid asks you, hey, mom, dad, give me testimony of what God has done. Oh, I've never considered it. All right, well, cool. This week can be the first time you've considered that. Ask your grandparents. Grandparents, ask your grandkids. 
friends, neighbor, I mean, find people on either end of your age and say, give me your testimony, let me give you my testimony. And man, shoot, ask somebody younger than you their testimony. Encouragement can flow both ways. But let's put this into practice, because i got to be honest. I, I'm, I'm going to be, you guys know me, I speak really plainly. And If we're not willing to share our testimony with fellow believers who we know are going to accept it with joy, I, I really don't think that you're going to be sharing it with unbelievers who might reject it and make fun of it. I mean, I'm just, I'm just being honest. If I'm, not willing to, if I'm not willing to go to somebody who I know, right? Like, hey, this is my testimony about what God has done. And I know as a fellow believer, they're going to be like, man, that's awesome. Isn't God incredible? If I'm not willing to talk about what God has done with someone who is going to celebrate with me, I really don't like the odds of me sharing my testimony with somebody who might reject it or make fun of it. So if we can't begin with sharing our testimony within the body, I think that says a lot about our willingness to share a testimony with those outside the body. So this week, let's begin within the body. If you wind up talking to somebody who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, man, all the better. I, I want to hear that story, right? But let's do that this week. And then the prayer is simple. Pray with each of those people you have a conversation with, right? So I go to somebody older than me, tell me your testimony. They tell me their testimony. Man, that's incredible. Let's pray and celebrate God for that. I go to somebody younger than me. Hey, listen to my testimony. All right, I'm going to go pray with them now. All right, so it's simple. Talk to two people. Pray with two people. Expand your circle. If you can't think of the last time on a Sunday morning you talked to somebody who wasn't within five years of your age, this is a great opportunity to start that. I don't have phone numbers. Call me. I will get you as many phone numbers as you want. I'll get you addresses. Shoot, I will drive you to somebody's house. If that's your excuse for not doing this, I will make that conversation happen. I can promise you. But let's give testimony to one another. And as we grow in that, please let us give testimony to the world watching who desperately needs an awareness of God. It's in Jesus' name we're about to pray. It's in Jesus' name that we do these things. And it's for Jesus' glory that we do these things. Please join me in prayer. Oh, God, you have given such incredible testimony. The mere fact that we are standing here drawing breath today is testimony to your faithfulness and your goodness. I mean, you say that you took dead hearts of stone and renewed them into living, beating hearts. That is reason for testimony. We all have testimony who have a relationship, a fellowship with Jesus. So Lord, burden us with the desire to share testimony. And God, open doors. I, I love asking you to open doors. And I confess that I frequently don't even think big enough of what you're capable of doing with the answer to that prayer. But God, open doors this week for your people to share testimony about who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.